Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining our podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show, patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Karen McDougal settles her lawsuit with the uh, National Enquirer. She is now free to talk. Watch out. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It is a Thursday, April 19. How about it? And this is the Bill Press Show. So good to have you with us today. As we join you coast to coast all across this great land of ours from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day from here on in the, just down the street from us, the United States Capitol building, uh, about six metro stops away down at the White House, uh, all the rest of the news from across this land of ours and around the globe as well. Uh, that's our job every day for uh, two hours to bring you up to date to get you started with the news of the day on every front so you know what's going on and remember your job is to let us know what you think about the news of the day and the way you do so, of course, is going on Twitter, stealing time from Donald Trump and sending us your comments at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, everything good here on this front. I hope it is on your front as well. We've got a great lineup of guests today. Kate Martell, who runs the uh, Daily Noon Update for The Hill newspaper, will be joining us uh, in studio. Emma Roller from Splinter News, here as a friend of Bill, and to get the latest on North Korea and Syria, and what are the chances that this, these talks with North Korea will actually take place? What role is George Pompeo playing? Joe Sirincioni, our own foreign policy guru from the, from the Plowshares Fund, will be joining us as well. Lots and lots to talk about again. Uh, we will jump right, and we look forward to your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. And we will jump right in. But first, Peter's out of town today, so uh, up to me to give you a couple of little um, off-the-wall stories, offbeat stories, just other stories that are out there in the news today. Um, well, you thought that uh, Jeff Bezos was doing pretty well. At Amazon, yes, the news is today he is doing better than we actually thought with Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime, uh, Bezos announced yesterday, now has over 
100 million members. Over 100 million members signed up to Amazon Prime. Like me, I have too. Uh, it's a tremendous service. My only complaint about Amazon Prime is that um, stuff comes too fast, but it certainly comes very fast, and it's, uh, what, about 90 bucks a year, 100 bucks a year, whatever it is, for that extra service. Obviously, a lot of people like it. Not only have over 100 million people signed up, but last year, in 2017, they delivered over 5 billion items on Amazon Prime, which is absolutely uh, incredible. Uh, yes, not such good news from Puerto Rico, by the way. Uh, we know after the uh, hurricane how long it took uh, for Puerto Rico, which was so devastated to get back on its feet, lost power throughout the island for months and months. Well, yesterday the um, Puerto Rican uh, Electric Authority announced that uh, 97% of the island was back on electrical power. And just a couple of the, uh, hours later, uh, a construction team that was uh, doing some excavation got a little bit close to a high-voltage line. They cut the high-voltage line, and the entire island of Puerto Rico went out. Lights went out. The entire island of Puerto Rico uh, and the uh, electric authority had to put out an announcement. Se estima que el tiempo del reestablecimiento de servicio eléctrico podría extenderse de 24 a 36 horas. 24 to 36 hours before they get the power back in Puerto Rico. They can't win for losing the poor people down there. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump says if it doesn't look like a good meeting, I'm not going. And if I don't get everything I want, I'm going to walk out. Hey, how about that? Uh, the uh, <laughs> This is the big dealer, the big dealer in chief. We're sending a warning out to... Uh, the president of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. What do you say? Hello, everybody, on a Thursday. How about it? How about it? Great to see you today. It is Thursday, April 19. This is the Bill Press Show. We are here in Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill. And we're here with you all across this great land of ours. doesn't matter where you happen to be, all 50 states and around the globe, whether you're uh, on the way to work, at home, at the office, wherever, out for a walk, we're there with you. On every platform we can, we're here with you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here with you on television, on Free Speech TV, and how about it, on the radio, joining you on the great WCPT out in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area. Hello, 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 wherever you happen to join us, thanks for being with us. We always tell you, you are the most important part of the show. You are the most important guest. So uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, please uh, let us hear your comments about the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. 
Uh, and remember also our podcast. Podcast is growing leaps and bounds. Every day more and more people sign up for our podcast, which you can join by going to uh, anytime, anytime during the day. You're the whole two hours because you, you always miss, easy to miss some part of the show in the morning. You can pick up the entire show or snippets of the show all throughout the day if you go to the podcast at BP show, uh, at BillPressShow.com or iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you pick up your podcast. We are there with you on every one of those platforms. A great lineup of guests today. Looking forward to uh, being joined by Kate Martell uh, from The Hill. She's the author of the 1230 Report for The Hill every day. Does a great job. Joining us in studio, Emma Roller is chief correspondent for Splinter News. We'll be here as a friend of Bill for the uh, last hour or second hour together today. Uh, and Joe Sirincioni from the Plowshares Fund with so much to talk about with North Korea and um, the um, uh, and what's happening in Syria because there's some real kind of confusion about Syria. Donald Trump says he wants to pull the troops out. Then we send the cruise missiles into Syria. Now he still says he wants to pull the troops out. Uh, where are we going in there? We'll uh, try to find out. Again, Peter Ogburn off for the uh, day today. We have um, an entire female engineering crew, Ray and Bryn, who are running the show today. So uh, this is a, a new first. Hello. Very exciting. Yes. Hello, Ray. New yes. frontiers. I feel like I feel as confident as the passengers did on that Southwest Airline flight. That, that, that pilot, nerves She was of, amazing. Nerves of steel. Nerves of steel. Brought that baby home, right? So we know uh, full confidence in Ray and Bryn. Oh, to, goodness. To fly the plane today. Pilot, <laughs> yes, pilot and co-pilot, yeah. Where do we start? We start with just another uh, little update on uh, Barbara Bush, uh, former First Lady Far Barbara Bush, who passed away uh, yesterday at the age of 92, uh, tributes pouring in from all around the globe uh, uh, from uh, people, you know, celebrities and average folks who just uh, loved this woman and 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 thought she did such a, provided such a great presence as the first lady of the United States. Um, as our friend Margaret Carlson said, the pearls were fake, but she was real and absolutely. And she wore those pearls like all the time. They were, she said, she said they were fake pearls, cost 150 bucks. You can still buy them. I forget the name of the designer, but that designer she bought them from has them up there as the Barbara Bush pearls, wore them uh, all the time. Uh, and um, it was announced, we were speculating yesterday uh, that we were pretty sure Donald Trump would not be invited to the funeral. It's a private funeral. And in fact, he is not going. Uh, the first lady, Melania Trump, is going as well as President and Mrs. Obama and President and Mrs. Clinton will be there uh, to pay a tribute to former First Lady Barbara Bush. Um, two of her sons, Jeb and George W., spoke yesterday about their mother. Uh, I think we have uh, uh, Jeb Bush uh, at, at an event scheduled beforehand to speak to an event and, uh, and did start out by uh, remembering his mom. I'm so blessed to be her son. Uh, she taught us to serve others. She taught us to be civil. She taught us to love your family with your heart and soul. A great lady, again, dedicated to public service. Her entire, the entire family, whether you disagree or disagree with their policies, uh, and I certainly disagreed with their policies, 
uh, but it was a family dedicated to public service, going back to their grandfather Prescott Bush, to George H.W. Bush, to George W. Bush. You know, you had a president and another president and a governor and another governor and a U.S. senator uh, uh, and um, um, George H.W. Bush, ambassador to China, chair of the Republican National Committee, uh, and George P. Bush, who's now the agricultural commissioner of uh, the state of Texas. Uh, she instilled that love of public service uh, in her uh, in her sons um, and kept that great wry sense of humor. Uh, we mentioned yesterday how she was called the enforcer in the family. Um, George, President Bush, George W. Bush, uh, told a funny story yesterday about the la- his last visit with his uh, mother. They were kidding back and forth. Uh, and the doctor walked in, and the doc- Barbara Bush said to the doctor, pointing to W, do you know why he is the way he is? And said the doctor was kind of stunned and said no. And she says, it's because I smoke and drank when I was pregnant with him. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I'll put her in context. So she was, uh, she was Barbara Bush right to the very end. And, of course, uh, when it was announced last week that she had, when it was revealed last week by her doctors that she had little time left, she said, no more medical care. Let's just have comfort care through hospice. And it was just uh, just a few days, but she uh, she made that uh, brave, very, very brave decision. Uh, yes, news from down at uh, Mar-a-Lago yesterday with uh, Donald Trump's uh, g- giving a news conference. Uh, well, it was one of those joint news appearances. This with the uh, prime minister of Japan, Junjo Abe, uh, where the president had some interesting things to say. Uh, about uh, North Korea and the upcoming summit in North Korea. First of all, he said um, this sort of stunned everybody. Yes, he was looking forward to it. Yes, he thought, still thought this was a good idea. Yes, plans were still underway. But, he said, um, if it doesn't look like very promising, I may not even go. If I think that it's a meeting that is not going to be fruitful, we're not going to go. If the meeting when I'm there is not fruitful, I will respectfully leave the meeting. Whoa, may not even go and not going the way he wants, could even just walk out. Hey, sorry, I'm going to take my marbles and go home. Uh, A little bit of bluster, I think, on the part of the uh, president, part of the dealmaker in chief, right? Uh, sort of sending a message to uh, Kim Jong-un, you better be serious. Uh, you better really come with something to offer and, and want to make a deal or else we're not even going to have this meeting. I think the meeting will take place. The big obstacle, as we discussed yesterday, is where the meeting will take place. Uh, we do know now that it will not be in the United States. Apparently the hang-up is, and we had mentioned this even last week, that North Korea doesn't have... <laughs> Commercial airliners that can go very far without, well, and be trustworthy or without having to stop many times to refuel. Uh, So Kim Jong-un wants it, apparently wants it close to North Korea. It won't be in North Korea. Once they're close enough, I guess, that he can get there on one little bounce. And that seems to be where are they, where, where could they hold this? In China, in Japan, in South Korea? Uh, again, we're told by the White House, not the United States. So that is the uh, that is a little hang up. Meanwhile, 
while he was uh, there, uh, reporters did ask him, of course, about Robert Mueller, and he ducked the question. The question was, on the Mueller investigation, are you still, now that the Comey book is out there and now that the um, FBI has raided the offices of Michael Cohen, your personal attorney, are you still willing to sit down with Robert Mueller and are you still looking forward to that? The president didn't answer that question. He ducked it. Instead, uh, he talked about the fact that, look, we have given them everything they want. Hopefully it'll soon be over. I believe we've given them 1.4 million pages of documents, if you can believe this, and haven't used, that I know of, or for the most part, presidential powers or privilege. So we are hopefully coming to the end. Hopefully, hopefully coming to the end, yeah. They, the White House said, I was there at the briefings when Sarah Huckabee Sanders told us, no, it was going to be over like last Thanksgiving, right? They're kidding themselves that they think it's going to be over soon. Paul Manafort's court case isn't even scheduled for until July, so it's certainly going to last that long. And every indication is uh, that the Mueller investigation will take at least uh, another year. Um, by the way, the president said, base again, he's made this point over and over again, uh, no collusion, no collusion. And he said, and why are they investigating this anyhow? Because we're the ones, we're the ones, he says. He's the one who's been tough on Russia. Nobody better, nobody tougher on Russia, right? No? Okay. <laughs> and there we There's go. been nobody tougher on Russia than President Donald Trump. Yep. Me, me, me. Me, me, me again. Nobody tougher on Russia. Um, and finally, he was asked about firing Robert Mueller. Indications are, uh, again, after the Michael Cohen raid, that he was more likely now to fire Robert Mueller or to fire Rod Rosenstein. Uh, Donald Trump says, hey, you've been talking about that, pardon me, you've been talking about that for a long time, but... They've been saying, I'm going to get rid of them for the last three months, four months, five months, and uh, they're still here. So we want to get the investigation over with, done with, put it behind us. Put it behind us, get it over with, get it behind us. But they are still here. Still, that the question is still, you know, you know that Donald Trump would like to fire Robert Mueller. And, you know, there are some people around him. We've talked about this. Hotheads like uh, Lou Dobbs and Sean Hannity, who have his ear, uh, as well as some in the White House who have advised him, you've got to fire Robert Mueller. You've got to get this guy out of there. And there are also some voices who say, look, no, as some Republican senators have said this could provoke a constitutional crisis. Um, and so for the time being, at least, for which we can be grateful, uh, Donald Trump seems to be listening to the saner voices around him. Uh, and he says, if I had wanted to fire him, I could have a long time ago. They're still there. That's all you need to know. Uh, on another front, there's so much, so much news today. Nikki Haley is still making news. Nikki Haley is sort of, she's everybody's new hero because she's unique among the White House cabinet. I mean, we have seen Donald Trump lash out at uh, the former Veterans Director Secretary. We've seen him lash out at former HHS Secretary, both of whom lost their jobs. He has lashed out 
constantly, mercilessly at Jeff Sessions, attorney general, saying he wishes he had never appointed him and wishes he had somebody else in there. Uh, and all these other people, when they get you know uh, blasted by Donald Trump, they sort of just shrink away, you know. Uh, not Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley stood up to this White House. So it what's it started was remember when Nikki Haley on the Sunday shows, giving, telling the American people, telling us what she had been told by the White House people that this whole plan was in set and the Treasury Secretary or the President himself was going to make a big announcement on Monday that we were not just going to send the cruise missiles into Syria. We were going and punish Syria. We were also going to punish Russia for being the enabler of the chemical weapons attack in Syria. Nikki Haley on the Sunday shows. Yeah, she did say that. Um, and then eventually uh, they, the White House came out and said, but you're confused. Yeah, right. You're, you're confused. Do we have the sound for the Nikki? So we don't have Nikki saying it, but then we have once Kudlow walked it back, he was yeah. saying, she's great. Here's Kudlow saying that. She got ahead of the curve. She's done a great job. She's a very effective ambassador. Um, there might have been some momentary confusion about yeah. that. <laughs> but if you talk to Steve Mnuchin at Treasury and so forth, he will tell you the same thing. They're in charge of this. Yeah, right. That's that's the, the White House. The White House through Larry Kudlow saying she was momentarily confused, uh, and um, she's yeah doing a great job. But she was momentarily confused. She got ahead of herself, basically saying she's in over her head. Uh, this is Larry Kudlow, who has no business talking about this foreign policy deal at all. I mean, he's the economic counselor, uh, so he stepped into it himself. He got he's the one who got uh, over his head. Uh, at any rate, it was Nikki Kudlow then who turned around uh, and gave an, didn't give an interview, but Dana Perino from Fox News, former press secretary for uh, George W. Bush, called Nikki Haley and said, what do you think about Larry Kudlow said that you were just confused? Uh, and Nikki Haley uh, famously told Dana Perino, and Dana Perino reported this on Fox, with all due respect, I don't get confused. Uh, so those eight words are going to live on. They'll put that on her tombstone. With all due respect, I don't get confused. Telling those men in the White House, basically, look, I know what I'm doing. I know what was decided. I know that, that when I went on the Sunday shows, that's what the plan was. If the president changed his mind, he's the one who's confused. He's the one who changed his mind. He's the one who put out the rug from under something we had all agreed to. So don't blame me, blame Trump. And G. Bill, who are you going to believe, Nikki Haley or Donald Trump? Well, I always believe the president <laughs> because the president of the United States never tells a lie. Oh, yes, that's true. We must Rem respect the office. Remember that, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly right. So good for Nikki Haley. Everybody's setting up and saying, there's the real stand-up guy in the, uh, in the in the Trump White House. Uh, and, of course, as... Uh, our, our friend Victoria Jones told us yesterday, yeah, the little backstory there is that uh, Trump likes Nikki Haley, but he's also very jealous of Nikki Haley because she gets great PR. She does a great job on television, and people like her, and they don't like him, and he's afraid that she might take that too far and might even team up with Mike Pence and run against him in 2020. <laughs> Boy, this guy is so paranoid.
It's amazing. It is amazing. Like, the fact that his mind space is spent coming up with conspiracy theories instead of just handling the news of the day really is indicative of (laughs) what kind of leader, if you want to call him that, that he truly is. Yeah, indeed. Uh, We'll talk a little bit later with uh, Joe Cirincioni about this, but also on the foreign policy front. We have a new president of Cuba as of yesterday. Miguel Diaz Canal, who is the, I mean, our in our lifetime, there's always been a Castro head of Cuba. I mean, I can't remember when there was not a Castro head of Cuba. It was Fidel, then it was Raul. Raul is not going away. Fidel is dead now, but Raul will still be the head of the Communist Party, which is, let's face it, the mo- the biggest, the greatest power in Cuba. Um, but uh, Miguel Diaz Canal, who um, has been, he, he's been, don't, don't get the idea he's different than the Castros. He's been part of the Castro operation for his entire life. By training, he's an electrical engineer, but he's still younger and still a more modern a leader uh, than the Castros. Uh, but he's not going to, I guess what, what I'm saying is, uh, can't expect that many differences like overnight, but he's certainly going to have to continue to modernize the Cuban economy, continue to allow more freedoms uh, and democratic reforms in Cuba, uh, and hopefully someday we'll have uh, an American administration more willing to work with him toward toward those improvements uh, the way the Obama administration was and the Trump administration has just reversed uh, all of that. Uh, But it is a significant, significant move Uh, in our hemisphere that is worth noting. Something else worth noting yesterday is, uh, can you believe this? The SEDA did something unanimously. How often does that happen? Unanimously. Pretty much never. Pretty much never. Mm -hmm. But yesterday, unanimously, they approved a measure that would allow children, infants, toddlers, on the Senate floor. Uh, They're allowed in the House, but they've never been allowed in the Senate. Now, why would they take that move? Because, again, Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois uh, became the first senator ever to give birth while a member of the U.S. Senate. So now she's going to have this little baby. What's she going to do? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Senate voted unanimously to allow her to bring her baby onto the floor. Uh, Now, they didn't exactly go overboard. The resolution definitely states that uh, infants are allowed up to the age of one. So, <laughs> and after that, get out. After that, get out. So for the first year, uh, Tammy Duckworth will be allowed to bring her baby uh, on to the Senate floor. It was uh, her senior senator, fellow senator from Illinois, uh, Dick Durbin, who announced the change. We changed the standing rules of the United States Senate so that Senator Duckworth and any other senator who's a parent of an infant could bring their child to the floor of the Senate during a vote. Yes, but again, only for the first year, only up until the the baby is a year old. Uh, But uh, Senator Durbin did say to the baby, welcome. We officially say to Miley Pearl Bowsley, Welcome to the world, and welcome to the United States Senate. <laughs> the House at least lets kids up to 12. Yeah, 
Right. Mm. Up to 12. They have some pretty rowdy kids sometimes on the floor <laughs> of the Senate, not in the very staid United States Senate. But what's interesting is Amy Klobuchar, who was one of the co-sponsors uh, of this, and by again, no senator dared vote against it, right? Oh, no, the optics that would be terrible. The optics would have been terrible. But, uh, but Senator Klobuchar mentioned that this was not easy, believe it or not, to get this vote. Because some people raised objections that they didn't think it was it would fit with the decorum of the Senate, and some suggested, well, why can't she go to the cloakroom and stay in the cloakroom with the baby and vote from the cloakroom? Well, first of all, the cloakroom is not the floor, and secondly, the cloakroom is not wheel, wheelchair accessible, and she is in a wheelchair, having given both of her legs in Iraq in that helicopter accident when she was in the military. Um, and others suggested, well, can't they just have a staffer hold the baby and take care of the baby while she goes in to vote? Well, um, that's a problem with that, too, because you can't have staffers, the rules of the Senate, the staffers cannot do personal things like take care of your laundry and right. clean your house or that kind They're of stuff. They're not your just assistant, your personal assistant no, to no, do no. all of your housework and things no. like that. Right. Yeah. So that didn't work at all. And then people were concerned that she might be breastfeeding on the floor of the Senate. <gasps> Say it ain't uh, so. Senator Duckworth said she did not plan to breastfeed the baby. So at any rate, they came up with this resolution. It was nice that they were able to get something done and get it done unanimously. <laughs> and I look forward to seeing Miley on the floor. Me too. I think that she'll bring a lightness to the floor that is lacking. Yeah. She'll go down in history, right? She will. Yeah. It's yeah, you know the first the yeah first the baby. very first baby of the first woman senator sitting senator who gave birth to a child while in office. It's great. Well, which reminds me, why haven't we seen Valentine here on the uh, in in the studio for the Bill Press show? I don't know. Coming up soon because it's almost Bring Your Kid to Work Day. Oh, that's that's right. That is coming up soon. Mm -hmm. huh? Yeah, I think this maybe later this month. Well, Gray and Magnus always make an appearance. So yeah, she'll right. be here too. <laughs> to keep those kids in line. Huh? Yeah. So she will be one in the summer. In this summer. Mm -hmm. Is yeah. she allowed on the floor past that here of the BP we'll studio? We'll her in the studio up to the age of one. Oh, have and then be, after that. We can't be more liberal than the cut Senate. Yeah. Off. Uh, and finally, before we take a break, yes, the big news yesterday on the, uh, on the legal front is that Karen McDougal, remember, she was suing AMI, American. Media Institute, I guess, whatever, the, the, the owners of the National Enquirer to get out from under uh, that little agreement that they had reached where she was paid $150,000 not to talk. What do they call that? Catch and whatever, where they pay somebody. They'll take your story, take your interview, write the story, but then pay you not to run the story. She got out from under that. Karen McDougal, the former Playboy model, who alleges... I think with a lot of evidence and a lot of confidence that she had a 10-month affair with Donald Trump uh, shortly after Melania had given birth to Barron. Uh, she had a 10-month affair with Donald Trump from 2006 into 2007. Now she, she reached an agreement yesterday. Um, AMI gets up to $75,000 of any profits that she makes from telling her story. Boy, she'll get a hell of a lot more than that for any book deal. Uh, she is now free to talk, uh, and you know she will be doing so 
um, you know, she may be following James Comey around on the on the book tour or whatever. But uh, she uh, that's bad news for Donald Trump when uh, Karen McDougal is free to sing. And now also, I think that gives a little um, a little more heft, if you will, to Stormy Daniels' request to get out from under her deal as well. If Karen McDougal can now talk, why can't Stormy Daniels talk? Kate Martell is on top of all the news of the day, every day with her 12.30 report on for The Hill, The Hill newspaper. Check it out with Kate Martell coming up next here on The Bill Press Show, a short break, and we'll be right back. commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show hey happy thursday thursday april 19 how about it uh it is the bill press show live from our nation's capital and joining you all across this great land of ours with the news of the day uh lots going on as always there's never a dull news day when donald trump is in the white house that's one thing for sure um, and if you want to keep up with uh, the latest, do what I do every day, 1230. Uh, sign up for The Hill's 1230 report, The Hill, the great newspaper that covers Capitol Hill. And Kate Martell is the editor, author, whatever, major domo of the 1230 report. Joining us in studio. Hi, Kate. Great to see you. Good morning, Bill. Thank you for coming in today. Um, and uh, people should really check The Hill today, right? The newspaper, thehill.com. Uh, because there's a um, a little, I, I found like Donald Trump, me, 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 me. But there's a profile by Ben Kamisar, uh one of your great reporters who was uh, in studio with us last week. Uh, and he and I sat down the other day for a little interview about my new book, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. Uh, and Ben's profile is up uh, today in the it's Hill. Great piece. It's really worth checking out. It's right on our homepage right now. It's on the homepage? Yep. Okay. Go, go go online to thehill.com and check out uh, Ben's take on both me and the book. And I remind you always, too, uh, from the left, A Life in the Crossfire, with the uh, endorsement of Bernie Sanders, Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Brown, Rosa DeLauro, Maxine Waters, Anderson Cooper, Cenk Uger from the Young Turks, as well as friends on the right, Joe Scarborough, Tucker Carlson, and even Ann Coulter. Um, but Ben, we had a good time, so I'm, I'm glad that uh, piece, piece is up. It's very good. It's very well done. That's oh. a great reporter. Too. Yeah, He's, thank you. Yeah, it's a good writer. Check this out for our, on our website at uh, BillPressShow.com. And of course, it's also available anywhere your local bookstore, your local independent bookstore, or other places books are sold. Um, so, Kate, I mean, Donald Trump must not be happy to wake up this morning and find out that uh, Karen McDougal. Um, is free to sing, huh? Yes, so the American Tabloid Company um, reached a settlement agreement with Karen McDougal, and it frees her, so now she is allowed to talk about her alleged affair with President Donald Trump. Um, When he was, obviously, yeah. Uh, Back in 2006, 2007, when he was just developer Donald Trump. (laughs) Now, one little caveat is this does technically protect the president from any legal hurdles he would face with Karen McDougal over these settlements. But then there's Stormy Stormy Daniels in the back 
um, which obviously that is still a very much ongoing um, battle that you could definitely play out legally um, in the upcoming months and years. So yeah, that's still there, his. The, so there is kind of a parallel because, you know, so she, uh, Karen McDougall, had been paid $150,000 by the National Enquirer not to publish the the story that they had um, and and had interviewed her about Stormy Daniel. And so Karen McDougal was trying to get out from under that blanket, if you will, or that code of silence, uh, a, a cone of silence. At the same time, Stormy Daniels is suing the president to get out from under the cone of silence that she agreed to. So they're different parties, but similar pursuits, right? Yes. To, to be able to talk, to tell their story legally. Yes. And the end goal at the end of the day is, again, with these parallels, that these are all terrible news for the president. This is all, this is why the Mueller investigation, I think you I have to forget sometimes and step back why the Mueller investigation is so important outside of the Russia sphere is that now that special counsel Robert Mueller is investigating any crimes that he comes, that he steps along, he's allowed to investigate. And by going and raiding Michael Cohen's office, that relates back to whether there was evidence or any types of sensitive materials that could relate to any of these payoffs. Um, So all of this at the end of the day is just terrible news for the president that he wants to control this. This is why I'm sure he did not enjoy waking up to this news about Karen McDougal and why he will continue to have Stormy Daniels as the thorn in his side. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this is the one that we know is pretty sensitive to him because Melania doesn't like to hear about it. Obviously, yes. that's understandable. Having right? a three-month-old when you hear that some of these alleged affairs have been going on, that yes, obviously she is still the current first lady and cannot be she took a big hiatus from public life when all of these stories started coming out so you know that it really is getting under her skin even though he the president is putting on a front as though it's it's totally false okay. and, and then honest. and further complicated by the fact that the man who arranged this payment Michael Cohen is now himself the subject of a criminal investigation in, which is in New York's the US Attorney's Office in New York that is a huge sign that the president is in trouble right now because for them to go out and seek a warrant, go to a judge, this is what the American system wants is that if you want to search, raid somebody's house, that you go and to a judge, get a warrant. The fact that everybody involved knows how high stakes this is. So the fact that they were granted, that these the feds were granted um, this search warrant to be able to go after not just President Trump, but his personal lawyer who has been with him for over a decade and could very well have sensitive materials um, that if they are going after his lawyer, that they're suspecting foul play. And that is what Trump allies are very worried about right now, that what could they have possibly gotten from raiding his hotel room and his office um, and whether this relates either to Russia, to any of these collusion or to any other of his business dealings. This is why the president is tweeting what daily, weekly about the quote unquote witch hunt because he knows he's worried outside of the realm of where what we know of the investigation. This investigation is going at lightning speed, and it could take a turn outside of anything that's expected right now. Right. Um, uh, and uh, that's right. You don't know where this is going to go. There's a story in Politico this morning um, where um, the Trump people, the Trump team, are worried about Michael Cohen um, because – and Michael Avenetti, Avenatti um, – Stormy Daniels' attorney yesterday said, too, 
the idea that Michael Cohen would take a bullet for the president is crazy. That uh, and and the Trump people are really worried that um, if it looks like he may be facing some serious prison time, he knows more than anybody else, except for maybe Melania, about probably more than Melania. Actually, about, more. Yeah. Probably more. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. About Donald Trump. Yeah. That uh, if it comes right down to it, that he'll uh, he'll end up cooperating with the prosecution in order to reduce his own possible prison time. Yeah, that's that, a terrifying that, thought for once you start looking at prison time and once you're in court and start dealing with the prosecution, that's when things become real and that's when the cookie crumbles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I mean that's not such a an impossible scenario. It seems to me when you look at the fact that. Um, Michael Flynn's cooperating, Rick Gates is cooperating, George Papadopoulos has been cooperating from the very beginning. Everybody but Paul Manafort uh, has rolled for Michael Robert Mueller, so why wouldn't Michael Cohen? If you, and if you yeah. had your best friend and your, private, your personal attorney who's been with you for years and years and years and done all kinds of, God, we know about the Stormy Daniels thing, we don't know all the other deals that Michael Cohen might have made. Uh, on all kinds of matters, right? Exactly. And I think what's also interesting to kind of step back from this is there's an interview with the former AG, Eric Holder, who has known Mueller for decades. And he was saying this, the way this investigation is going right now, A, it's going at lightning speed, but B, it seems to be a two-year investigation. And the way he described it is standard bottom-up case. We're getting to Michael Cohen. Two-year investigation, which you mean the New York, the, the New York, uh, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office or no, the, Robert the Robert Mueller okay. investigation? Okay, I, I, I just want to be clear. Oh, yeah. yes. Um, and it's so right now we are not even at year one. Um, we're not the conclusion of it. In May, it'll be the end of it. So, or the, it'll be the end of year one. We're If we're halfway through this and this is a bottom-up investigation and we are already at Michael Cohen, who has been with the president by his side for over a decade, um, this really does not bode well. That if this is... You know, they started with George Papadopoulos and Paul Manafort, and they've been moving up. If they are only halfway through this investigation, it does not seem the president keeps saying that he thinks that the investigation is wrapping up. He doesn't really have anything to gain from me saying that because, hey, if it wraps up, good for him. But if it doesn't, it just looks like things are being slowed down and like there's and there potentially is more going on here. Yesterday, in fact, uh, he did, uh, we probably just skipped a little bit earlier, Ray, but let, it, it, let's hear him again, with the president uh, mentioning that they've given all these documents to Mueller, right? And so why isn't this thing over yet? Basically making the point you just made. I believe we've given them 1.4 million pages of documents, if you can believe this, and haven't used, that I know of, or for the most part, presidential powers or privilege we are hopefully coming to the end <laughs> hopefully coming to the end they've been saying that for a long time Wishful thinking huh? hopefully <laughs> hopefully coming to the end yes um and you know by what i was just saying is that what does he have to gain from predicting that it's almost over not much if if he's pleasantly surprised let that speak for itself but at this point it's not necessarily a good look to without having necessarily inside information, knowing, predicting that it's going to be over when things could still definitely come from this investigation. Okay, so may, he thinks also that one way to make sure that it gets over fast uh, would be to fire Robert Mueller. You know, you know, he wants to do that. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, 
Yeah. But will he and can he? I think, according to his advisors, they say no way that it's happened. And Trump was even quoted yesterday saying, look at Rosenstein, look at Mueller. They're, They're still, still here. here. <laughs> yeah. Um, In fact, we've got that clip, too. Yeah. Right. They've been saying, I'm going to get rid of them for the last three months, four months, five months. And uh, they're still here. Here they are. So we want to get the investigation over with, done with, <laughs> put it behind us. Uh, again, again, yeah. over with, right. So they're still here. But you know he's still like, you know, he, Oh, you know he's itching to yeah. fire Mueller. And you can tell by his tweets. You can tell by the New York Times reporting that multiple times he's tried to fire um, the special counsel and the White House legal counsel has basically shut it down and hasn't ha- hasn't let it happen. Um, can he fire, to your second question, can he fire Robert Mueller? It's, I mean, it's definitely possible, and that is why we're seeing this issue in Congress right now that Senators Tom Tillis and Lindsey Graham have kind of teamed up and joined forces to introduce a bill that will protect the special counsel, and that basically says that... Tom we, Tillis and Lindsey Graham and Chris Coons, Democrat, I think Cory Booker's the other one, Democrat, right? Two Republicans. Chuck, yep, and two. Chuck Grassley is also has big support lately so um republican chair of the committee yep which, which is, is big si- which is significant yeah um however senate majority leader mitch mcconnell has said that if that comes to the that he will not put that to a floor vote um and now the issue it, it, i think did i think it did it move out of committee yesterday i believe um they were going to have a vote i'm not sure where they did it may maybe put off to next week Last I saw, I see it's week, it's but. it's on the agenda for a committee business meeting today, but a vote is expected uh, to be delayed until next week. So it is yeah. moving, but it won't move out of the committee today. But there seems to be they've got the votes in the committee. Now, to your point about Mitch McConnell, um, Mitch McConnell is saying this: Hey, this is this bill isn't necessary. The president will not fire Robert Mueller. Um, now, it's definitely possible that he will. Now, it's interesting hearing that. The majority leader thinks that this isn't possible when we're seeing the president obviously tweeting about it all the time and kind of threatening it. We've seen a lot of reporting to back that up. Um, but at the end of the day, people are saying that if this bill goes through, it's kind of poking the bear. It's not good politically to kind of te- tease the president and kind of push it. And it might even test him and actually ha- let him fire special counsel. And now from scholars that I've seen have been saying can you actually put this bill through and would it be constitutional? And it sounds like jury's still out um, whether you can have the judicial review be able to trump what um, an executive power um, of being able to fire a special counsel like this. Um, so it's unclear whether that can actually go through, but it's it, it, to be playing with fire to get to that point. So you understand why a lot of these bipartisan senators are trying to push through this bill and to be able to protect him. But um, uh, yeah, break uh, uh, but <laughs> and we pointed this out before. In a, to a certain extent, I think this is an academic exercise because this bill, I think, would have has a slim chance if it gets out of the Senate, and they've got to they have to, so they have to overcome the obstacle of the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, who says I'm not even going to allow a vote. If he changes his mind and they still get it out of the Senate, then they got to get through the House. And, yeah, there, <laughs> there are not enough Republican votes in the House for this bill. But if that changed and they got it through the House somehow through some miracle, <laughs> then Donald Trump has to sign it. 
<laughs> that is a that's a total non-starter. Oh, if yeah. he doesn't sign it, then they have to override his veto. Never, <laughs> never. So this is a real. It's a fun thing to talk about. But yeah, it sends a message. It definitely sends. That's the, to thing the White that House. Do. Um, we're not playing games here, and they want to hold the president accountable. Um, and I think their way of showing him, don't fire him. This would be a world of a world of losing for him. Yeah. Um, had he fired. Well, the um, so the, on an, so he's yeah. I'd like to fire him, but I haven't fired him. But I still might fire him. Whatever. There's always this uncertainty, as Nikki Haley discovered when she talked about Russian sanctions. There's also this uncertainty about North Korea. Um, we were surprised to find out that the president had had set mo- plans in motion to have this summit with Kim Jong-un, whom six months ago he was saying we're going to obliterate and wipe out North Korea. Now suddenly we're into the diplomatic, uh, diplomatic talk when it comes to uh, North Korea. Uh, and, and he says we're going to have this summit. They sent George Pompeo over there. How did they manage to get the director of the CIA to North Korea to have this talk and nobody knew about it? It's amazing. It's isn't incredible it? the, in this the town. This happened absolutely, um, and it also brings an interesting question of whether the CIA should be the department to be handling this. Now you can't forget that Mike Pompeo is up to be is President Trump's nominee to be Secretary of State. Um, it does show how much confidence the president puts in <laughs> Mike Pompeo. Yeah. Um, and why that he was nominated in the first place. But it is interesting, the fact that that's not usually a CIA duty to go and be the advance man for this diplomatic meeting. Uh, let me tell you, we know why they did this. They did this because they knew that, that he'd already been nominated or he was going to be for the next secretary of state. And they wanted to give him some diplomat. I'm telling you, this whole thing was planned out. They wanted to give him some diplomatic credentials. And so they pick him for this job rather than send Tillerson, who was the Secretary of State, I think. No, well, he wasn't. Is he still? No, he's left. He's left. He's gone. So we don't have a Secretary of State right now, come to think of it. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, this was all part of the plan. Uh, I thought um, uh, Tom Cotton from uh, Arkansas? Arkansas. Arkansas, yeah. He let the cat out of the bag yesterday, I think, that, that, that so he's praising Mike Pompeo for the diplomatic skills based on his trip to North Korea. Here's uh, Cotton yesterday. There's not many worse regimes than North Korea on the face of this earth and to sit down with its leader and try to find a peaceful solution to the nuclear crisis on the Korean peninsula should show them all that he is committed to diplomacy. There it is, right? They sent him over there, so he's got that little... Uh, now he has that little credential, but it's amazing they were uh, that they were able to do that. At any rate, so now the, the scene is sort of set, and Donald Trump yesterday says, "Well, not so fast, right? If it doesn't look like a good deal, I may not even go." He he said this yesterday in that little uh, joint news conference with the Prime Minister of Japan. If I think that it's a meeting that is not going to be fruitful, we're not going to go. If the meeting when I'm there is not fruitful, I will respectfully leave the meeting. Whoa. Would love to see that scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. May not even go. And if I'm there and he's not, you know, cooperating or agreeing to what I want him to agree with, I'll just get up and walk out. Oh, yeah. So is this, is this, this, is, is this the, uh, 
deal makers sort of a little bluster ahead of time, you know? I think this is trying to keep the North Korean leader, leader on his toes right now, and he's trying to, you know, go back and forth that, yes, he's had the headlines lately have been positive towards diplomacy, and so I'm going to meet with Kim Jong-un, and now he's trying to kind of step back from it and say, kind of look powerful in this whole thing. And also, I think what's interesting about Mike Pompeo's meeting is we can't forget that there are three Americans right now who are in North Korea and are held captive. Mm. And there were questions of whether that would be contingency of whether the president would meet with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. So far after Pompeo's meeting, that does not seem to have been um, one of the prerequisites for them to meet. Um, so I'm sure that's going to come up during this meeting. And that could definitely be something that the president could say is a win for him through this meeting if this actually ends up happening without fully going into whether they're going to be denuclearized or not. Uh, do, have we had a date set yet? Do we know when No it's date. To... They're still discussing now where this meeting will happen. And I was going been... to ask next where. Um, there are a few locations that have been thrown out. Um, the DM, the DMZ, the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea, has been thrown out. Sounds like that idea might have been eliminated. Um, That's where Kim Jong-un is meeting with the president of South Korea next week. Yes, and... I think it looks sounds like they're doing. So you have to keep in mind that the North Korean planes that would be transporting him are fairly rickety and they don't want to bring him too far outside of North Korea. He does not travel outside of North Korea except going to China. By um, plane, by train. Yes. So they're looking in Asia. I know Bangkok and Singapore have been two places that have been thrown out. Mongolia. Then there's a few European areas that they're throwing out. There's Switzerland and Sweden and you can't forget too that Mongol or that um, Stockholm was where they negotiated getting Otto Warmbier, the the student who was held captive and later died after being imprisoned in North Korea. Um, so they're throwing out a few. I think sounds like the Trump administration would prefer Europe. It sounds like a safer bet, but to get North Korean leader to Europe is a little bit more of a challenge. So they'd probably rather keep it in Asia. We could loan him a plane, right? I mean, if he doesn't have a plane of his own. Yeah, right. That's yeah. Um, but he probably would not I'm want sure that. that. <laughs> I think it like, yeah. So it sounds like it'll be in the Asian, in in somewhere in Asia. Yep. And there's been some talk of. I mean, people are saying whether Russia or China, but you can't imagine that. Not in the United States. Not in the United States. And I know they were looking for Pyongyang, North Korea. That's what the North Koreans were hoping for, and they're not a chance <laughs> of it being in the actual. Um, We mentioned this at the very top of the show. Um, We know more now about um, the arrangements, the funeral arrangements for former First Lady Barbara Bush. Um, Friday night, uh, there'll be a viewing. Her her, body will be moved there where the people can file by and pay their respects. And then Saturday is the funeral, uh, a private funeral for family only and invited guests. Which will amount to about 1,500 people. That's that so right? far how many people have been invited. Whoa. Uh, but the invited invited guests do not include the president of the United States. They do not. I think if he decides he wants to go, um, from what I've heard, the Bushes would warmly invite him, would allow him to come. First Lady Melania Trump will be there to pay her respects. Warmly. I would say they will allow him to come. I don't think warmly is the word. <laughs> I would only say warmly. Not, not all of them said they, none of them said they voted for him. I think out of respect for the office, they would say, well, what can we do, right? You know, he's the president, but but he's not going. At at this point, he's not going. 
First Lady Melania Trump is. Yes, and you can't forget that Barbara Bush had a lot of sharp words for the president. So uh, Did she um, ever? Yeah, particularly because <laughs> he was attacking her son nonstop, right? Yes. Uh, yes. But the Clintons both are invited. Uh, the Obamas both are invited. And then Mrs. Trump. Which yes. So. Which is not unusual. I think it's normal for former presidents to go. And for first ladies, it's very standard for them to go to funerals like this. Um, I still wouldn't be surprised if President Trump has a change of heart and decides to go. Um, but at this point, it sounds like we're getting closer that it, it likely won't happen. But. Right. Okay. So people can find the 1230 report how? If you go to thehill.com, you can sign up and it comes to your inbox every day at 1230 and it's everything going on in politics. But I put a kind of a humor. Oh, no, it's great. It really is great. It's very live, very lively every single day with lots of fun stuff in it. So thehill.com, sign up for the 1230 report. Thank you, Kate Martell. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Karen McDougall wins a big battle yesterday in the courts. She is now free to tell her story about her affair with Donald Trump back in 2006. Uh, if Karen McDougall is free today, will Stormy Daniels be free to talk tomorrow? The plot thickens. Hello, everybody. What do you say? On a Thursday, April 19, here we are, the Bill Press Show. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us as we uh, take off for this uh, last hour together here with the news of the day. There's a lot going on, lots to talk about. Uh, we'll bring you up to date on what's going on. Uh, you tell us what you think about it all uh, by going on Twitter. Get Donald Trump out of the way. Forget about him. Just Twitter's yours. Use Twitter. Uh, to give us your comments on the news of the day, at BP Show, at BP Show. And to help us through this uh, second hour today, as a friend of Bill, uh, senior reporter for Splinter News, our good friend Emma Roller. Hi, Bill. How's Emma, it going? how's it going? Everything good? Good. You know, it's it's kind of rainy outside in D.C. Is today, it? but yeah. It wasn't raining when I came over this earlier. Yeah, but, but that was probably like very early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, when I rolled out of bed, it was it was just sprinkling out there. But, yeah. yeah. But uh, it's, it, it, lots, lots going on. Lots to talk about. It's good to mm -hmm. uh, good to have you here today. Uh, and uh, we will, Emma here for the entire hour, then Joe Sirincioni from the Plowshares Fund, our foreign policy guru, will be along to talk, uh, talk us through North Korea and Syria. Um, but we will... Um, We'll get through some of the other news with Emma Rolla and with all of you. But first, Emma, you know, we always have this full court press. Peter's not here today. So uh, my turn with a couple of just a little off-the-wall stories here <laughs> that you may not have caught up with yet. Um, I, I find this—I I can't believe it took him this long. 
But New York City announced yesterday, remember about a month ago there was that horrible crash, uh, mm-hmm. with an, an helicopter crash in the East River, I believe. Right. Where, um, and that's the first time I heard that these, I see them all the time, these helicopters around here, but those sightseeing helicopters, they don't have doors so that people can actually, like, lean out. They're strapped in, but they lean out and take pictures and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. Yesterday, New York announced they're banning door doorless, if you will, helicopters. They have to have doors on them. I didn't even know that was a thing. I That's guess same I, here. I've never been in a helicopter, so... I've never been in a helicopter either, but I feel so much safer knowing that there's a door. I don't want to go in a helicopter without a door, yeah, Bill. I would never get into any sort of no. flying contraption without, like, some Leonardo da Vinci contraption without doors. No. Yeah. I've been in many helicopters. They all had doors. <laughs> what yes. if a bird flew in and hit your nose? Like, remember that happened to that Fabio guy so many years ago when he was on the roller coaster and broke his <laughs> nose? Like, yes. it's scary. I was on a military helicopter once, actually, as part of going with President Obama to Wilmington, Delaware, mm. when Chris Coons was actually was running for um, Senate for the first time. And we landed in Newcastle, Del- in Philadelphia, and then took a helicopter, military helicopter, down to Newcastle, Delaware. And it was one of these military helicopters where uh, the back of it was open. And we were all, like, strapped in, like the military is, along the side oh of it gosh. in these it was not like a commercial plane, you know. These little strap seats on the yeah. side, but the back of it was all open. And I, even though I was strapped in, I was afraid, you know, I'd fall out of my seat and then just roll out of the helicopter. <laughs> my palms are sweating just thinking yeah, about it. Yeah, that sounds terrifying. Yeah. You At any rate, in New York, it's uh, it's a little safer now. Um, and the other thing um, I did mention this a little bit earlier, but it's worth mentioning again for the poor people of Puerto Rico. Uh, they finally got their power back. The uh, the uh, uh, power company announced that um, they were only 3% of the island. 97% of the island, in other words, was up and the lights mm-hmm. were on. A couple of hours later, um, somebody hit a power line in Puerto Rico, and the entire island yesterday went dark. All power loss on the island. It's going to be 24 to 36 hours before they get it back. Poor people there can't win for losing. video, news commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, Donald Trump says, if it doesn't look like it's going to be a good meeting, I may not even go, and if I'm there and I'm not getting all I want, I may just get up and walk out. (laughs) Oh, yeah, this is what we call diplomacy in the uh, world of Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is uh, the Bill Press Show. That's me and you. Welcome to it. Great to see you today on this Thursday, April 19, as we join you everywhere in this great land of ours. We are there with you coast to coast online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. There with you on television, on Free Speech TV. And, of course, out in the greater Chicago area, we join you on the big progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT, here in studio with us from Splinter News, uh, senior reporter 
Emma Roller here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour. Emma, nice to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you for joining us. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a um, total female crew today. Um, hey. Look at this. There we Ray go. Rogers and Bryn uh, here. Uh, mm -hmm. Peter, Peter's got the day off. Mm -hmm. So um, I said earlier, I, ha I feel like the passengers on that Southwest flight with that strong lady <laughs> in charge, no doubt. Hopefully that, uh, the engine doesn't. Hopefully you know, the engine doesn't blow out, out right. But even if it did, I've got total confidence that Ray Rogers would land us safely. Yeah. So. Thank right. you, Bill. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we've been at it for just about an hour now uh, with uh, some comments, as always on uh, on on. Uh, oh on yeah, Twitter. lots of comments coming for in from our um, Twitter and YouTube chat room. So coming from the YouTube chat room, we have. Robert weighing in. Um, we mentioned earlier Haley saying, I don't get confused, mm -hmm. hitting back. Robert says, this whole dang administration is confused. They must think this is Germany pre-World War II. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, we also Seems have, that way sometimes. I know. Um, then we also have Scott weighing in. On Trump firing Mueller, Mueller, he says, if Trump fires Mueller and Turtle Man, McConnell, did not bring up a vote, I say charge Turtle Man with treason. So you can weigh in at www.youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Right. Emma, we haven't talked about this yet today. It's not the biggest news story of the day. But I think it's worth mentioning, and it's sad, that Queen Elizabeth today mourning the death of her last... Corgi, Willow. <laughs> she at one time, you know, you never see a picture of her almost without having this dog. She is known for mm -hmm. her love of these dogs. For 80 some years, she's had Corgi pets. And at one time, she had as many as 30. Mm -hmm. uh, and she kind of stopped replacing them. And Willow was the last one, 14 years old, died. Apparently, the Queen's very, I can understand why, but very, very upset by the death of Corgi, more so than any of our other dogs. And and um, the, kind of the entire British Isles today are in mourning. My question is, is, why didn't she get, I mean, not to be insensitive to Willow, um, who I'm sure was an amazing Corgi, uh, but why didn't she replace any of the I, I had the same. I had the same question. There was one Great movie about the Queen, I forget, where it showed her. I mean, it was really her, and she was, she went out to greet somebody who's arriving at Balmoral Castle or one of her estates, and it was like she had this pack of dogs with her. You know, they mm -hmm. followed her around. She just loved them, really did. And that was the official kind of royal dog. And mm -hmm. you would think as they died off, you know, she would have replaced them with younger ones who so had always been right. a younger brood around. I don't know why she decided to kind of, let the line run out. Maybe but. she can uh, become more of a populist, like take after Jeremy Corbyn and, you know, go to the pound and get a, a rescue mutt or something. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, we, we're a little wrong here. I'm just reading further. The 91-year-old queen still has two corgis, a Dachshund, Dachshund corgi, I didn't know, crossbreed, oh. oh. crossbreed, named Vulcan. So it was the last full-breed corgi. Yes, right. Yes. Oh. And Candy. Which What's, are really iconic of her, the, the full breed corgi following mm -hmm. her around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, anyhow, goodbye to Willow, which raises uh, a, another story that I saw today, which I find really bizarre, is that the House of Representatives yesterday amended the House Farm Bill mm -hmm. to, um, to make it illegal in the United States 
to kill a cat or dog for consumption, to eat them. Now, I just was. My question was, how many people eat cats and dogs in this in this country? Yeah. What? Yeah. What's? I mean, I'm not saying I I would oppose the legislation, but I don't see like the need for the legislation. <laughs> right. right. It seems like legislation in search of a problem that doesn't really. I exist. think that there might be more pressing issues that they could pass bills about. But right. a few, a few pressing issues. Yeah. I, you can still eat horse meat in this country. You can. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there oh, have yeah. been studies where they, like, analyzed, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news to anyone who eats Taco Bell. They think that there was a horse meat detected in Taco Bell. Oh, yeah, but oh. that was not, I mean, not continued. Ah, I mean, not, yeah. that's not their regular practice. Well, I have talked about this before. When I was living in Switzerland and going to school in Switzerland, mm-hmm. um, we ate horse meat. Uh, and that's, like, all we could afford. And What is it like? It's just, like... Tougher steak, maybe mm. a little, little gamier, gamier, mm. right? Uh, and I, and uh, there were butcher shops that had a horse head hanging out in front of them. That's where they sold horse meat. So, um, I survived. <laughs> Are there any traditional like horse recipes or preparate like? A horse I'm sorry, or... I'm not the expert oh. on horse recipes. <laughs> in fact, that's the centerpiece of Bill's Easter brunch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you can have a bison burger in in, in restaurants, a lot of restaurants. I'm True. not. I haven't seen horse meat on the menu. <laughs> uh, I just I just found this house farm bill yesterday kind of uh, kind of strange. But maybe we're off on a roll here because. The Senate also passed something unanimously yesterday. Uh, unanimously, the United States Senate uh, passed a bill that would allow babies on the floor of the Senate. Yes. For I a very good reason, because Senator Tammy Duckworth, Duckworth just gave birth to a little girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was uh, her uh, senior senator from Illinois, who made the, Dick Durbin, who made the big announcement. We changed the standing rules of the United States Senate so that Senator Duckworth and any other senator who's a parent of an infant could bring their child to the floor of the Senate during a vote. How about that? Uh, they, they put a condition on it, up to one year old. <laughs> up to one year old. I, right. And I saw, um, even though the vote was unanimous, I saw a couple of um, older male senators mm-hmm. like Orrin Hatch saying, well, you know, what if you have 10 babies on the floor of the Senate? To which I say, like, that's the status quo. There are 100, <laughs> you know. 100 babies now? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe not that many, but well, at least <laughs> half and half. <laughs> um, Good point. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, and all, but the idea that they would tolerate only up to a year old, right? So, in other words, before they can walk, just about. Mm-hmm. Until they can walk. Once they can walk. Forget it. Forget Out. it. Right. Once they can talk. Nope. Forget it. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Senator uh, Senator Durbin went on to welcome Miley um, to the world and to the Senate. We officially say to Miley Pearl Bowsley, welcome to the world. And welcome to the United States Senate. There you go. Right. Uh, in the House, they allow children up to 12 years old on the floor. Hmm. Interesting. And I, I think uh, Senator Duckworth's response to um, what Orrin Hatch was saying was, you know, it would be great if we had 
10 infants of 10 parents on the floor because that would mean that there were there was some f- actually fresh blood going into the Senate, whereas right now, I think the average age of a senator is, is 60 or over 60. Um, you've been doing a lot of reporting on a lot of different issues that we haven't had a chance to talk about. Um, uh, and But we have been talking about uh, Nikki Haley. <laughs> Nikki Haley is uh, every, she's suddenly everybody's new hero, right? Because she yes. stood up to the Trump administration and when th- th- this is the most condescending statement I've heard in a long time from any man about a woman. It's Larry Kudlow, who had no business talking about this in the first place because he's the president's chief economic advisor, not his foreign policy spokesperson. But he um, couldn't resist taking a shot at Nikki Haley while saying she's a good job, saying she also didn't know what she was talking about. Uh, This is what prompted Nikki Haley's comment. But first, let's hear Larry Kudlow again. She got ahead of the curve. She's done a great job. She's a very effective ambassador. Um, there might have been some con- momentary confusion about that. But if you talk to Steve Mnuchin at Treasury and so forth, he will tell you the same thing. They're in charge of this. Momentary confusion. She got ahead of the, she got ahead of the, the curve a little bit. Uh, Nikki Haley shot back, of course, and said the famous eight words, with all due respect, I don't get confused. You're not such a big Nikki Haley fan? So... I realize this might be a bit of a contrarian take, and I'm sure I'll have a lot of people yelling at me about this in the comments section. But, um, yeah, my take is essentially you don't have to praise anyone in the Trump administration, even if, you know, they are rebutting a condescending comment that their colleague made. And in the case of Nikki Haley, we've seen you know, people kind of drumming up the idea of her potentially even running for president um, in 2020. Frank Bruni had a column in the New York Times dreaming up this possibility of a couple months ago. Um, it seems like people really want to affix or project this idea of Nikki Haley as some sort of feminist hero of the Republican Party. They just want that to be true so bad. But I wrote a piece saying, essentially, you know, her job is to work to further the Trump administration's agenda on the world stage. Um, and part of that means dealing with the conflict in Syria, um, in Yemen, and, you know, drumming up some fear mongering against Iran, which she's been doing, and now with John Bolton in office, that's yeah. been furthered. So my point is just that, you know, sure it was. It was fine as a response, but I don't think we should be giving any of these people any extra credit for anything. Well, I mean, so what what you're saying is that, yeah, she shows a little backbone here, right? A little spunk. But at the same time, she's a loyal foot soldier of the Trump administration. Right. And at the same time, uh, my argument is that feminism isn't just about this sort of like rah-rah girl power in an individual sense. Uh, you have to look at the whole picture, and if that whole picture involves, say, you know, allowing Syrian women and children to continue to be bombed and only allowing 11 Syrian refugees into the country so far this year, which is true, the U.S. has only allowed 11 Syrian refugees in this year uh, versus 2016, I think it was around 15,000 Syrian refugees, then are you really such a champion to women? 
you know, it reminds me of my take on James Comey, mm-hmm. which we've talked about here, which is, yes, I love the fact that James Comey is out there calling Donald Trump out, uh, unfit for the, morally unfit for the office of presidency of the United States. But at the same time, James Comey himself is no saint, right? right. I mean, it was James Comey mm-hmm. who was more than willing to go forward and dump on and and, and reveal the Hillary Clinton, the investigation mm-hmm. into Hillary Clinton's emails and dump on her for being so reckless and mm-hmm. careless, but never talked about the fact that they were also investigating Donald Trump at the same time mm-hmm. for alleged collusion with the Russians. And mm-hmm. that didn't come out until like after the election. Mm-hmm. And again, you have to ask, sure, James Comey has stood up in his way to the Trump administration. But if you read his book, there well, are parts after a, after getting fired. After right? getting fired. Right. Yeah. That's the other thing is that if he was so opposed to the Trump administration, mm-hmm. he could have left mm-hmm. at any point. But he I said he felt he had to stay on for uh, serving his com- country. But if you read his book, the parts that won't get the press attention, uh, he outlines his ideology, which is I would argue very much in line with most center Republicans. He is a Republican. He said he has said now that he won't vote Republican anymore or that the party has left him. But when you look at his views on criminal justice, he in the book, he denies that mass incarceration is a real problem in this country, which is just, you know, frankly, an absurd argument to make. But it is an argument that is completely in line with someone who is the former FBI director. Right. And in line, by the way, with Donald Trump and with Jeff Sessions. Exactly. Not in line, in this case, with the Koch brothers, of all people, who actually were supportive of criminal justice reform, partly because our prisons, mass incarceration, our prisons are so full of people who are there for nonviolent and drug, it's drug insanely crime. expensive, which yeah. people like the Koch brothers should care about. Uh, uh, so, yeah, uh, another case where Comey is quickly out of step. Uh, you've also been reporting on ICE. ICE, um, we know ICE um, doing these raids on uh, undocumented uh, workers here in this country, uh, rounding them up for deportation. You point out that ICE is another target. Journalists? Yes. So this is a really sad story out of Memphis. Um, So remember, it was Martin Luther King's the 50th anniversary of his assassination, which happened in Memphis. And around that time, earlier this month, there were some demonstrations going on in Memphis. And uh, this man, Manuel Duran Ortega, was reporting on one of the protests for a Spanish language newspaper in Memphis called Memphis Noticias. Uh, And He was arrested. His lawyers say he was unlawfully arrested by Memphis police um, for reporting on the protest. Uh, But obviously, then they found out he wasn't part of the protest. He was just there reporting on it. They released him from jail. Soon after they released him from the city jail, ICE picks him up. And turns out he has um, an outstanding deportation notice from 2007. Um, Mr. Ortega says that You know, he never received the notice to appear in court. Um, But so ICE picked him up and sent him to a detention facility. You know, ICE runs all these huge, opaque uh, detention facilities. 
uh, for undo- that house undocumented immigrants. Um, they sent him to one in Louisiana, so hundreds of miles away from home. Um, and his lawyers are now saying that he was targeted because he was writing stories that were critical of local law mm. enforcement's collaboration with federal immigration authorities. So if you write about us, right, or if you're critical of us, we'll just send you back right. send you back across the border. Right. I, ICE and Memphis police obviously dispute his lawyers' claims and say that it had nothing to do with that. But it is part of a disturbing trend we've seen of, you know, immigration activists who are undocumented seemingly being targeted by ICE. Um, and then the other thing is, if you follow that through line, if someone like Mr. Ortega gets deported back to his home country of El Salvador, the persecution of journalists in those countries mm. is terrible. Uh, a female magazine journalist, as I write in my piece, uh, just turned up dead on the side of a highway uh, after going missing. And this is routine in really you know, gang-ridden uh, Central American countries right now, like El Salvador. Right. Uh, and that's the source of so many people, this caravan particularly, right? Mm-hmm. They, 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 were, they were fleeing, mm-hmm. uh, particularly El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, I mm-hmm. guess, are the three Central American countries that were, where there's so much unrest and so much violence uh, against um, uh, any dissent, anybody who would dissent with the central government there. Um, you and I, in, in the past, we've talked a little bit about Sinclair Broadcasting. I want to ask you uh, the latest o- on that. Um, and, and as I mentioned um, on, with my new book um, out in Chicago uh, for a great event out there at the Frugal Muse bookstore, but as part of it, I did an interview with WGN, the, the great the television same. station in Chicago owned by the Tribune Company, which is called Chicago's very own because it's their their local TV and everybody watches it. And it's now up on the shopping on the shopping block or chopping block for Sinclair Broadcasting. Mm-hmm. That's uh, they already have 192 stations. They want to get 43 more, and the prize is WGN. The people there that I talked mm-hmm. to are very nervous, very upset, not happy about the fact that they could become a Sinclair property. Um, so this would be like a huge monopoly for Sinclair if they're able to buy this many stations. And of course, they're the ones who. Uh, uh, got a lot of uh, <clears throat> unwelcome, perhaps, publicity a couple of weeks ago when their management put out a statement uh, and required all of their anchors around the country on all of their stations mm-hmm. to read the statement word for word, mm-hmm. warning people about fake news. And then there was that viral video that uh, actually oh, our, yeah. our sister website, uh, Deadspin, where... Are they the ones? Yeah. Yeah. We're, that was brilliant. Right. Brilliant. That showed all of the anchors sort of robotically reciting the same script about media bias, ironically, of all things. It was a hostage video. Oh, totally. It was yeah. very disturbing to watch that video, actually. No, it was. So what's what's uh, what's the result of that? They just get away with it, and, and the FCC is going to allow them uh, authority to uh, give them permission to buy all these stations? Yeah, I mean, at this... They're already the number one television network in the country. Right. They already have essentially a, a monopoly on, on local news. Um, and this is just another part of the sad trend of the hollowing out of local news in America and locally owned news. 
Uh, I don't see an FCC under the Trump administration ever going after Sinclair. You know, the president has tweeted about how oh. the news networks were un- being unfair to Sinclair and that, you know, cable- or the news networks like ABC, NBC, CBS were more biased than Sinclair was. But if you ever watch Sinclair, a, a local Sinclair-owned station, it's really jarring because they will have, you know, packages that you expect from the local news, mm-hmm. um, nothing, you know, to remark upon. And then they'll have to cut to these must-run segments that could be anything from their quote-unquote terror alert desk, which is, you know, a lot of fear-mongering coverage, to Boris Epstein, the former Trump aide, has his own political commentary show on Sinclair that uh, is a must-run segment for these channels. And I'm sure a lot of, you know, these people are just TV journalists trying to stay at a job, and Mm -hmm. it must be super frustrating to have to do this. Well, the other thing that's diabolical about Sinclair is that um, if you, that nobody knows what whether it's a Sinclair station or not. They're not identified as Sinclair News, mm-hmm. meaning you tune into CNN, you know you're watching CNN. You tune into ABC or NBC or Fox or MSNBC or CNBC, you're watching, you know mm-hmm. what channel you're watching. You tune into your local news. Let's take uh, WJLA, um, I think, mm-hmm. here in Washington, D.C., Channel 7. You think you're watching WJLA. Nobody to- tells you, you're now watching Sinclair News. Right. No, they're owned by Sinclair. And so you th- when this, these must-run pieces come out, you think, oh, that's just the local news station, right? They've mm-hmm. done a little reporting or they've done this, put this piece together. No, 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 yeah. it's not. And It's propaganda mm-hmm. coming from the mothership mm-hmm. to these stations they own, forcing them to run this. That's part of their contract. And there's a term for this in politics, astroturfing, whereby you try to make something look like a grassroots mm-hmm. organization or effort But really, like you said, it's coming from the top down from these moneyed interests that try to obscure their own role in shaping the debate and the discourse. So, Uh, Like way back to the uh, town hall meetings um, with all the protests in the early days of Obamacare when they were debating Mm -hmm. it and Mm -hmm. all these in that summer of 2009. Mm -hmm. The town halls erupted, and all these people showing up. Everybody said, "This is all grassroots." It wasn't. It was Astro. That was the Koch brothers mm-hmm. who organized, paid people to go, bust mm-hmm. them in, mm-hmm. and that's where I I first heard this is astroturf. Yeah, uh, yeah. Groups like Americans for Prosperity right. are a great example of that. Right. So I think Sinclair Broadcasting is a real uh, is a real threat to uh, um, journalism and to free speech in in this country. And uh, like you. I'm also afraid they uh, they may get away with it. Uh, meantime, uh, a lot of talk now about North Korea. Will there be a summit or won't there be a summit? And what is going on with this sudden flurry of uh, diplomacy uh, on the part of an administration that just uh, six months ago was saying they were going to obliterate and eliminate North Korea from the face of the earth? And Joe Sirincioni from the Plowshares Fund joining me and Emma Roller 
here as a friend of Bill and all of you for the next half hour. So give us just a chance to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. All right, here we go. Uh, Wrapping up here on uh, Thursday, April 19, uh, The Bill Press Show. Great to have you with us today. Again, I urge you to check out The Hill newspaper today. I'll look at The Hill every day, but particularly today, thehill.com. Reporter Ben Kamazar has a... uh, uh, feature piece in there about me and about uh, my new book, From the Left, A Life in the Crossfire. We've told you about it. You can find out more about it on our website at thebillpressshow.com. Uh, Joe Cirincione has read the entire book. <laughs> uh, he's here today it from is the Plowshares Fund. <laughs> I consult it regularly. I, uh, hello, Joe. How are you? Nice. What do you mean wrapping up? We're just getting started here. We are. We're just getting started. We're going to cover the rest of the world now. Man, we got Yes, and we've held back a lot waiting for you to get here. <laughs> and Emma Roller is uh, still with us here from uh, Splinter News, and uh, here is a friend of Bill this hour. So... Joe, I mean, what is going on? It wasn't that long ago that we were going to obliterate North Korea. <laughs> Fire and fury. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what they were going to feel. I got a bigger button than you, and it works. Remember that? Yes. That's how we started yeah. the year. Right. And now, suddenly, we're talking about sitting down with Kim Jong-un, yeah. or Kim Jong-un, as <laughs> Donald Trump calls him. He always, he always stretches it out like he, he can't has say his own unique style. So what... Why this sudden change, and is it for real? uh, I think it is for real, but you know how things are in the Trump administration. Everything's a circus act. It's a a, a juggling pin. It's a plate. It's a watermelon. You (laughs) never know what's going to come up next, right? And so this works for Donald Trump. This is the main thing. Having a summit, being presidential, being able to solve a problem that no one else has ever solved before, that and he only he can do it. You heard him yesterday with Abe claiming credit, claiming that President Moon of South Korea said if it wasn't for President Trump, wasn't for me, he said, the Olympics would have been a failure. Mm-hmm. So it's all about him. It's all about his ability to solve problems. Well, you know what? It actually might work. There is a greater than zero chance that this summit could work. Um, the Mike Pompeo visit, big news that just broke th- this week, you know, shows that there have been serious talks going on between the United States and and North Korea. Were you surprised at the Pompeo visit? Yes. Stunning. Nobody knew anything about this. Um, as CIA director, he can fly to places secretly, uh, and he used <laughs> and, he, and he, he used that in this case. This is a long-established channel, uh, the, the intelligence services, uh, Director Clapper and oh, actually opened this up in trying to negotiate the release of American prisoners or Americans held there, mm-hmm. and and they've kept it open. So y- yes, the Pompeo visit was significant in in and of itself, and it shows that there is momentum towards a deal or deals with North Korea. So you're saying that we might actually um, that Donald Trump might actually succeed. Where Bill Clinton, George yes. W. Bush, Barack Obama did not. 
Yes, I've been privately assessing this this summit possibility as 60-40, 60% complete catastrophe, 40% chance of success. I think that's now moved to 50-50. Because it works for him because and, and for Kim, both of them are vesting a great deal in the success of this summit. So if it comes off, and that's an if, if it comes off, Trump might be willing to take a s- small steps towards progress, um, a, a establishment of a, of a process towards denuclearization, and declare it a great victory. Once he realizes he's not going to fly to the summit and come home with Kim Jong-un's nuclear weapons in the cargo hold of his plane. <laughs> yeah, well, which is not going to happen. Not going to happen. Sure. So how about what he said yesterday where uh, he's sort of a, sending a message, or maybe it was bluster, I don't know, uh, talking about the summit. Uh, let's listen to him. It's just, it's, he, he's not willing to say yet that it's a sure thing. If I think that it's a meeting that is not going to be fruitful, we're not going to go. If the meeting when I'm there is not fruitful, I will respectfully leave the meeting. <laughs> respectfully leave yeah. the meeting. He'll, he'll bow his way out. <laughs> bow his way out. Well, this is the quantum uncertainty of the Trump administration. Is the summit alive or dead? We don't know. It's both. And we won't know until Donald Trump tweets they, about it. Yeah, until they sit down. Until they sit down. Yeah. You know, it's, this is not, obviously, we've said but this over it, and over again, so, this is not normal. But it is significant that Kim Jong-un has met, now he's going to China to meet yeah. with President Xi. He's meeting with the President of South Korea next week. He met with Mike Pompeo. Yes. Uh, so, it, I mean, it looks like at least on his side, right? And, Kim Jong-un is smarter than we thought. He is calling the tune here, and Trump is dancing to his medley. You know, th- th- this is what's 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 going on here. He's handling this brilliantly. He, it, it, yeah, it's, he, I, I would, I totally agree with you. Particularly if you throw the Olympics in the mix. Exactly, the whole thing, the whole thing, the way he did his his test, more tests last year than any uh, any Korean leader has ever done. He d- detonated a hydrogen bomb. He tested twice a missile that could reach the United States. Got away with all of this. The sanctions didn't slow him down for a minute. The threats didn't stop him. And then, bang, turns on a dime with the peace offensive. We get the Olympics. We get his sister. We get all that. We get President Moon, you know, wanting to meet. This this meeting at the end of the month, April 27th, between the North and South Korean presidents, could be extremely significant. They are raising the ante steadily. They're now talking about negotiating a peace uh, arrangement, a peace agreement between North and South. Remember... The North Korean, the, the Korean War never ended, as President yeah. Trump reminded us. A lot of people yeah. don't know the Korean War <laughs> never ended. We just have an armistice there, and we may actually end the Korean War in the next few months. My my question for you, Joe, is that how did we get from, as you said, the the infamous button tweet and about the size of the relative buttons? Um, that was just in January because it feels like yeah. it was years ago. Um, well, it was five years ago in Trump years. Right, exactly. <laughs> but it was just January. But how did we get from from that rhetoric to where we are now? Was it, you know, do you see any turning points? Was it the Olympics? What was it? It was Kim Jong-un. He declared on January 1st that they had accomplished their historic um, uh, effort on the nuclear program. He said we achieved it. And now, and he's always had, we're going to turn to our other goal. He's always had two goals, which is economics, which is to 
revive the economy, which isn't doing all that badly, as it turns out. But in order to really get it going, he needs to open up. He needs trade. He needs normalization relations. He needs inflow of capital, and that's what he wants to do. So this is a very clear plan on his. And then in order to get that, in order to change the tone with the United States, he dangled denuclearization which is what Trump said he wanted. We're not going to talk to them until they agree to get rid of his nuclear yeah, weapons. Right. So he came up with it. Well, not this came up. It's a longstanding phrase in the Korean Peninsula, denuclearization. It means something different for Kim than it does for Trump, but that's the art of diplomacy. You fudge, fudge over these differences, and Kim was, or his advisors, was smart enough to figure out a way to do it. So, so you say that it might work. What do we mean when we say it might work? Does right. that mean it doesn't mean unification of the Korean no. Peninsula, right? No. It doesn't mean, as you indicated, that Kim Jong-un would say we're just going to, like Gaddafi did, scrap all of our nuclear weapons program. Right. It right. means— Right. This is not going to be the fall of the Berlin Wall. This is, this, is, this is not going to be that. At the summits, I think we'll return to something more normal— and, you know, we have 10, 20, 30 years of efforts to try to do these things. And so there's a well-worn path here. And we're probably going to have improved relations between the two Koreas. We'll probably have the establishment of a peace arrangement process that gets us going. And then with— Ongoing be, talks yes, beyond and this, this. And then with—if that works, then when Trump meets, you will probably get several gestures from Kim's side agreeing to a freeze, no more tests— of missiles, no more tests of weapons, maybe a pause, a freeze of the production so I won't make any more, and a pledge to denuclearize as long as the United States takes what they call meaningful steps. And what they mean is reduce the exercises. They would like uh, uh, pledges not to threaten North Korea with nuclear weapons. So they want denuclearization on both sides of this relationship, and that will be a process, and that might Work. And trade deals might be part of it too. Some Absolutely. It's always been part of the mix, economic assistance from the United States. Because to right North now, Korea. North Korea gets everything from China, right? 90% of their trade. Yeah. But they would like to have a relationship. This, this is one of the things that people don't. <laughs> I sound like Donald Trump. People don't understand <laughs> <laughs> that, that the, the you North Koreans. You remind me more and more of Donald Trump. <laughs> wear longer ties. Uh, <laughs> that that they, want, they want to balance against China. They don't like being that dependent on China. They have a very rocky history with China. So mm. they would like some kind of strategic relationship with the United States. Right. Um, where do you think this uh, summit's going to take place? That was one of the things that was unresolved. I, I know. It what, seems what, to be a real stick, sticky point because Kim Jong-un doesn't like to travel, and he doesn't check. have planes that can get him very far. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the obvious site is Seoul, but I don't think the North Koreans want to agree to that. This, he's not going to come to the United States, and, and Trump's not going to go to Pyongyang. Geneva, Europe, those are some How possibilities. Would he get there? Well, <laughs> that's that's true. He likes to take trains. China, you know, I'm sure has offered and would like it to be in China, but but the, I, I don't think Kim wants that. So that's uh, it's unresolved. If I had to guess, I would I would I would probably put it in the DMZ. I was going to say maybe like a break room in the DMZ. <laughs> well, this is where the North and South. Uh, Korean yeah. leaders are meeting, meeting <laughs> in what they call the Peace Village mm -hmm. in the DMZ, which, by the way, is one of the things we're likely to see come out of the mm -hmm. summit. We might actually demilitarize the demilitarized zone. Both both countries have troops in the DMZ. Yeah, we might right. see an agreement to pull them out. You know, um, I'm thinking back to 
World War II days when uh, FDR and Churchill and Stalin, they met on yeah. ships, warships, you <laughs> know? It, yeah, right. Right, or in harbors. Yeah, that's yeah. right. They met on ships. So maybe they could, um, you know. <sighs> Kim Jong-un come to an aircraft carrier, uh, an in armada? The, in, the, in the China no, Sea or no, something no. like that? I, I don't know. I, 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 I haven't heard anything about where this might happen. Still unresolved. Right. And we don't have a time yet either. So it's, they say May or June. Exactly. Right? Depending. And, you know, we're, we're, this is very rushed, very rushed. I mean, all this started when the South Koreans came to visit at the beginning of March and extended the invitation, which had been extended to all presidents before this. And Trump, I don't think, knew that. He thought this was a personal honor to him, and he just impulsively seized on it and set all this in motion. Well, whatever happens, uh, most likely uh, this whole thing will result in Mike Pompeo being confirmed as Secretary of State. Would you agree? No. Uh, it, this is much closer than people think. Really? This yeah. is much. I mean, j- so. This is all orchestrated, don't you think? The, le- the disclosure of the trip was almost certainly orchestrated to try to stem the flood of Democrats who were coming out. To give him some diplomatic Monday. cred. Yes. But right. it didn't work. Because hmm. even after he uh, this announcement, so yesterday, Robert Menendez, the ranking Democrat in the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, announces he won't do it. Uh, ben Cardin, the one the guy right behind him, announces he won't do it. Jack Reed, the ranking Democrat on the House Armed Services Committee. Right now, Pompeo does not have a Democratic vote positively, either on committee or in the whole Senate. There are two or three that I think very, are very likely to vote for him, but if they don't, if they don't, and with Rand Paul having declared against him, and with Jeff Flake undecided, this is a one or two vote nomination. He's almost certainly is going to be voted out of committee with with a recommendation of disapproval. First time this is disapproval. Ha- yes, he will not make it out of the committee. But won't with, there are there enough Republicans to give him? No, no. there are not, because Rand Paul is going to vote against him, and so far all the Democrats have said have declared against. I think there's only one left, Coons. And if he yeah. goes, that's it. Then he will not get approval. First time a nomination for uh, for the Secretary of State has come out of a Senate committee uh, with a vote of disapproval since 1925, which is when they began taking votes. Whoa. Wow. Here is uh, Rand Paul yesterday putting himself on the line. He's talked recently of coming home from Syria. He uh, seems to be consistently against, you know, engaging in a new large land war in the Middle East. Um, and I haven't gotten the feeling that uh, Director Pompeo is sort of agrees with that. So he says he's even out of step with Donald Trump. Yeah. And so I was up in the Hill yesterday. I must say, I, I don't was, trust Rand Paul. And, and I, I, well, he could Rand flip. Paul could easily well, uh, you, and you change just, his mind. You just saw Jeff Fli- Flake flip on a vote yesterday. Um, he was initially against, then he. You mean forward. on Pompeo? No, no on uh, uh, oh, the vote okay. for another one of Donald Trump's nominees. It, uh-huh. was, it was locked at 49-49. It was going to fail, and he flipped um, uh, to, to, to pass it. So you never know. You, right. you never know. I was up on the Hill last couple of days talking to Senate staffers and senators, and I think that the, their assumption is your assumption, that it, it will get through however barely. But I, but I, it's closer than people think, and the— the, uh, the the civic groups, the, the citizen groups are mounting a ferocious campaign against this. MoveOn.org, Indivisible, uh, Credo, many, many, many others, Vote Vets are just flooding uh, members with, with emails, phone calls, ads 
against Pompeo. So it's one little thing, one little thing, one more disclosure of a shady business deal with, with the Chinese, which is in Pompeo's past, could, uh, could flip the vote. What's the case against Pompeo? Just inexperience, uh, too bellicose. Too what? bellicose, you know, prone to go to war. Uh, ben Cardin, who voted against the Iran deal, cited uh, Pompeo's un- inability to work with our allies to try to keep the Iran deal, a lack of experience. So even senators who voted for him for CIA director because of his intelligence background are voting against him for secretary of state because of his lack of international experience and his bellicosity. What is the status of, um, a little separately, of the Gina Haspel nomination? Also hanging by a thread. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, she's in more jeopardy. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has not satisfactorily answered a lot of senators' questions about the destruction of the interrogation uh, tapes, about her uh, conduct and uh, approval of and participation in waterboarding and other torture techniques. Mm -hmm. So this is is all. None of his nominees are having an easy, easy go of it at this point. Hard to believe that Gina Haspel still, I find it hard to believe, no. uh, maybe not from Donald Trump, but that a person who is in charge of one of these black sites and actually overseeing waterboarding, um, it's just a direct violation of the Geneva Conventions and U.S. law as well, would be named CIA director. Right, right. Well, of course, she was kept on. She was deputy director. Yeah. So none of the people who uh, participated in mm. these these tortures have suffered co- the consequences no of conse- this. Whereas the people who called them out, who blew the whistle on them, have been dismissed, shuffled to other positions. Mm-hmm. All right. Now this is Thursday, so we're not sure what the policy from the White House will be today <laughs> on whether or not we are going to pull our troops out mm-hmm. of Syria or leave them. Inside in Syria, maybe it depends on whether or not he talked to Emmanuel Macron within the last 24 hours. Um, how would you assess the impact of the uh, cruise missile attack on Syria? Mission accomplished? Uh, symbolic. Symbolic. Totally symbolic. You know, 100 missiles. Remember, we, all, we were heard originally 150, which is why you never believe the first <laughs> reports mm-hmm. from the front. So about 100 uh, destroyed three sites. I, I don't think anyone was killed. I may have missed it, but I think the original reports was no one was killed, no Russians Hard killed. to believe, but I haven't heard of any fatalities the, at all. Russians did not engage these, these missiles. So there's, And they, they there's, had promised they were going to shoot them down? Yeah, claims yeah, right. that they shot down. Not the first time a nation state has claimed they intercepted missiles when they actually didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there's, there, there's, there's more of a story here that people are looking at. What exactly was the communication with the Russians? Why didn't they engage? Was, was there a deal with the Russians before the strikes? So there's something more to dig up here uh, that, that might come out. But just on a military uh, level, did it affect the conduct of the war? No, it did not. This was a basically a 36-hour story. It broke on Friday night. Uh, the Sunday papers do- d- dominated the front pages of those papers. But after that, by Sunday morning talk shows, it was all over. Syria, all over. They had pictures of Assad striding calmly through his presidential palace. Uh, the war goes on. Right. And But what was accomplished? Nothing at all, you think? Just sending a message. A, a brush back. It's like, a, you know, an inside pitch to a batter that pushes them off the plate. You probably pushed Assad back 
Uh, there haven't been reports of chemical weapons use. Remember, we're talking about chlorine gas, which is a very easy, it's the first chemical weapon. This is what the Germans used against the British in World War I. It's just chlorine gas, and it's a dual-use chemical. You can't really ban it. Mm. You know, anything that's producing chlorine for swimming pools could produce chlorine for a bomb very quickly. Couldn't you, can't you make chlorine gas at, like accidentally by mixing together bleach and ammonia? And <laughs> that's a very good point. I think that's a thing. You can't uh, mix certain cleaning products together or they'll Right. Make- there, there were chemicals in our mm-hmm. house that are toxic. Mm-hmm. You know, they're good. So, so will the Syrians really? not use this again? No, this is true. This is, yeah. this is just true. It's a, chlorine is just a compound of two other simple chemicals. Which, uh, which are the two? I believe it's bleach and ammonia. If you combine the, uh, the, don't they tell have the Carol. compounds. <laughs> yeah, don't use both no, I won't be when safe. cleaning your toilet. <laughs> Do not use both. <laughs> so, so, so a little brushback, but you know that most but, of the killing has been done by good old regular bombs, not, yeah. not chemical. Uh, and so, bottom line, the Civil War goes on Yeah, with Russia and Iran supporting Syria. And we have 2,000 troops in Syria, and ISIS is almost out of territory. So what are we doing, and how long do we stay? Right. So you, What really has changed in the big picture? Like nothing, right? N- nothing, nothing. And Donald Trump keeps, again, quantum uncertainty. Does he want them in? Does he want them out? We, we don't know. And you, you know, you, your interview with Kevin Barron a couple of days ago, which I listened to in detail, was one of the best interviews I've heard on this. And you heard... Firsthand, that's thanks to Kevin, not to me. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you had him on. You were asking the questions. You were pressing him, and and talking to Kevin, you know, who doesn't have a dog in this great reporter, fight. Uh, executive editor of Defense One, right? Defense and he One. just com. lays it out for you: the case for staying mm-hmm. that yeah. we we control about when our allies control about one third of Syria, and if you pull the troops out, you could destabilize that. So when a commander-in-chief is confronted with this, when the cabinet members, are, when members of Congress, when a radio show interviewer is confronted with this, it's very hard to say, okay, pull them out. I'm willing to risk that. You know, the, the, the short-term loss is clear, and the, and the long-term gain is ephemeral. So it's very, very hard for policymakers to, to pull the plug on war, to say, get out. And, and you saw it demonstrated by... That talk with Kevin. But, you know, and as we were talking with Kevin, and you and I have talked before, too, uh, is that, that that seems that's the problem with all of these military engagements. Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, we get in and we can't get out. The flypaper problem. You're stuck. And you, and you feel it. When you go into the nitty-gritty details, you feel it. I mean, I'm with you. I think we should get out. I don't want us there for a whole lot of reasons, including I do not believe that U.S. military force can fundamentally change the dynamics of the Middle East, period. This is not the way we solve it. There is no diplomatic or political strategy to go along with this military mission. What are we doing there except killing people, including the casualties on our own side? We should get out. But actually getting out is extraordinarily difficult. To to me, it's so so lopsided where the first line of argument or attack is immediately strikes while not thinking about soft power aspects, humanitarian aid. As I said earlier in the show, the U.S. has only let in 11 Syrian refugees so far this year. Can you talk a little bit about the Trump administration's 
perhaps failure to... It is a racist, bigoted policy. Two years ago, we let in 15,000 Syrians, right? We have a cap of 96,000 refugees, according to our own rules and regulations. That's how many we can let in. 11 Syrians? Really? And it also it's, makes... It's inhumane. It is just inhumane. Mm-hmm. There's no defense for that. Because that the idea that except any, anybody coming from Syria is automatically ISIS. Right. That's the Trump right. belief. Right. It's, it's this sort of cognitive dissonance of, you know, showing these photos of horrible photos of, you know, children who are, and families and the Trump administration expressing sympathy for that. But at the same time, they are systemically not allowing them to seek refuge on our shores. Right. Right. This is a president who is psychologically incapable of showing empathy. I mean, the closest we get to it is reaction to photos, as we've learned. But that's it. To actually let people in, nope, sorry, wrong color, wrong country, not coming in. Uh, And with that little bit of good news, uh, we uh, wrap up here today for this Thursday. That's really, really sad. Yeah. It really is. But speaks volumes about Donald Trump himself and the administration. Hey, Joe, great to see you. Plowshares, plowshares.org, P-L-O-U-G-H, shares.org, and splinternews.com. Have a great day, folks.